great to see everyone here today. Um, well done for, uh, for managing to get through the weather and uh, the snow. Uh, it's been a challenging week. Uh, it just makes me wish I'd bought a Land Rover instead of a Seat. But there you go. Land Rovers are too expensive to run. Um, we've been thinking over the last uh, weeks about this whole area of uh, if your brother sins against you. And we looked in Matthew chapter 18, and we're going to read this through again today. And now we're going to read this in the context, the wider context of the passage. Uh, Jesus was speaking to his disciples, um, but he went on to, to give an illustration. Uh, and we'll, we'll talk about that in just a little minute. Um, but let's open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. We'll read from verse 15. But this time we're going to continue to read through uh, the, the, the passage into the parable that Jesus uh, speaks about as well. So I'm reading from the New International Version. Verse 15, it says, If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you've won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. Where two or three come together in my name, there, I, there am I with them. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, bear in mind this is all part of the one big conversation, Lord, how many times shall I for, forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times, or some translations say uh, 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom, and, and then Jesus, Jesus uses this opportunity to launch into a parable about the kingdom of heaven. This is what he says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. 
Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Let's just pray for a minute before we go on in the message today. Father, we pray that our hearts would be open to hear your word this morning. Father, that our spiritual eyes and ears would be open to receive what the Holy Spirit would deposit into our hearts through our spiritual senses today. Father, may we be tuned in to what you would say to us. Father, may we have ears to hear. And Father, may your word find a resting place in our hearts today. Father, we pray that only your word would be preached today. Not opinions, not ideas, but Father, your word. And so, Father, we ask that you would speak through your servant today. In Jesus' name, amen. So, what we've been thinking about over the last couple of weeks is how we ought to live. And we talked about how we deal with one another, how we deal uh, interrelationally with one another. And it's really interesting that uh, in this conversation that Jesus is having with the disciples, that it takes this route. And, uh, you know, we've mainly focused on the, the kind of interpersonal side of things. But one of the things that this passage talks about is making judgments. And this is something that we see happen in the church, uh, even in the Old Testament, that the church is a place where judgments are made, where disputes are settled. And uh, if you want an example, going as far back as Moses, in Exodus 18:13, it says, The next day Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people. And they stood around him from morning till evening. Imagine having to sit and listen to people's complaints from morning until evening and having to make decisions on all of these things that are happening amongst the people. No police, no judges, no law enforcement of any description. Moses is the man. Moses is the man who's tuned in, hopefully, to what God is saying and seeking God on on some of these matters. But the church is a place of judgment. It's a place of settling disputes. And even in the the church in Jesus' day, it would be a place where disputes would have been settled. The Sanhedrin would have been the the court uh, for the Jewish people at that time. So a place where disputes are resolved. And it's very different from the church that we experience today. Um, If somebody sins against us, by and large, what we do is we pick up the phone and we dial 999 or whatever the other number is these days, treble one, I think it is, and we say, I've got a wee problem here. Uh, My neighbor is uh, doing my head in here. He's smashing my windows. uh, Or uh, my Christian brother here is letting my tires down or not that anybody does that, but see what I'm saying? We we have all these other ways to go and get justice. Um, And by and large, we don't uh, do those things in the church these days. And so I think maybe getting some context uh, as to how this might have worked out uh, in those days. But we can learn from these principles. And the church is also a place of judgment as well sometimes. Uh, A place where we need to make decisions on difficulties. Where we need to make decisions when people are are caught in sin and we're trying to help people back out of that. So the the discourse between the disciples and Jesus is about how to resolve disputes. 
And uh, Peter jumps in and he asks a question. Peter is always the one jumping in and asking the questions. I think Peter is amazing. For those who have been wronged, he asks this question. Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Peter probably thought he was being generous. Well, Jesus goes on to say, well, I'll tell you what that what he says in a minute. But why did Peter ask this? What was in his heart when Jesus was speaking? Jesus is speaking about people who sin against us. Perhaps it's not what's in his heart, but who's in his heart when Jesus is speaking and he's thinking about somebody and thinking, I need to... I need to know what to do here. Who had wronged Peter? How often and in what way? And had there been repeated offences? You know how sometimes we kind of keep doing the same thing? It's like, I'm really sorry, I've done it again. Oops, I did it again. How did we do that? Why have we not learned from our experiences? The reality is that we're all weak and we all tend to make mistakes. And Jesus' answer would have been quite startling, I'm sure, to the disciples. I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times, or 70 times, seven times, depending on which uh, translation, translation you're reading. Do you know what it's like to have to keep forgiving someone for the same thing over and over again? Do you know what that's like? Have you ever experienced that? I've been on the receiving end of needing forgiveness for doing the same thing over and over and over again. When we're children, (laughs) we tend to keep getting things wrong. Hopefully as we grow up and we become adults, we start to get things right more often than not. But I'm sure we have all experienced times where we need to forgive somebody at least once for the same thing again. And it can be difficult. Why did you do it again? Have you not learned What's wrong with you? And when we're, when we're doing this, we need to remember that there's another three fingers pointing back at us. We need to look at ourselves as well. And this theme of forgiveness is something that runs throughout uh, Jesus' teaching and runs through the teaching in the, the early church. Jesus says a similar thing in Luke chapter 17. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. Interesting. To keep forgiving our brother who sins against us. Then Jesus uses this as an opportunity to teach the disciples about the kingdom of God through a parable. And... uh, He talks about uh, this man, and we'll read about that in a little second. We have a way of responding to questions, don't we? But Jesus' way of responding to questions was different. And this is what Kenneth Bailey says. Rather than an abstract statement followed by a clarifying illustration, we have a dramatic confrontation. The parable is a confrontation. Jesus gets to the heart of the matter with his disciples. He doesn't say, well, actually, let me just 
talk about something, and then I'll explain it where we story to illustrate what I'm talking about. Jesus launches straight in, and Jesus uses shock tactics. And the big question in most of the parables that Jesus uses is how is the listener going to respond? How are we going to respond when we hear the story? Now, in the passage that we've just read, we don't isolate the parable out from the discussion that's already been going on, Jesus and his disciples. Forgiven. If, if, that doesn't, if you don't uh, get success with your brother one-on-one, -on -one, take somebody else, take witnesses. If that doesn't work, come to the church. There's a process that we go through here. We don't just launch straight into solution three, which is go to the church. Right? If somebody's sinned against you, you don't launch in to come and speak to the church. You deal with it yourself first. And so the parable can't be isolated from this process of us sorting things out. I think it's different if it's people who are not Christians, let me say. Because people who are not Christians do things against us all the time. And we're commanded to love people. We're commanded to, uh, to, to be there for people, to forgive people. Uh, yeah, but it's, it's, it's a different scenario. What we're talking about here is what happens in the church, okay? We're talking about what happens in the church here. And Jesus uses this parable. And you can break it down into three separate scenes. Scene one, the servant and the master. Scene two, the servant and the other servant with the witnesses. And finally, scene three, back to the servant and the master again. And then the parable closes with a stern warning. Let's think about scene one, and it's the servant and the master. Jesus says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. Do you know that there's coming a day where Jesus, or where God the Father, will, will want to settle accounts with his servants? He'll want to settle accounts with us. And in this opening statement, Jesus sets the scene and opportunities, I've said, to teach kingdom principles about God's kingdom. And Jesus calls us in to be a part of that kingdom. Let's read it, verse 24. As he began the settlement, a man who gave him 10,000 talents, if you use the New Living Translation, it translates as millions of dollars. I'm pretty sure I did some research and found uh, figures. Um, I just couldn't during the week uh, to, to come up with them again. So he was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. And the servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let him go. In this parable, we see that the king represents God. The servant represents any one of us because we're all in debt to God and our account needs to be settled. The servant's debt is a massive debt. And I think, be patient with me. I'll pay everything back. How could he pay everything back? How could he begin to pay everything back that he owed his master? And the debt that we owe, we need to remember, is the sin that we have sinned against God. In this story, there's a, a parallel that we have all sinned and fallen short of God's perfect standard. 
And the problem is, how can we repay such a huge debt? In the parable, it's going to cost the servant everything. The servant falls to his knees and begs for mercy and begged for time. And here is the first shock. The master takes pity on him and cancelled the debt. How must he have felt? How would you feel? Now, if we take maybe put this into a different context, you have millions of pounds worth of debt that you owe to somebody. Imagine how you would feel if somebody came along and took that piece of paper with what you owe them and ripped it up and said, it's paid free. Imagine somebody taking your credit card and all the, the pounds that are in the wrong side of your credit card and shredding it and saying, debt cancelled, finished. <laughs> there you go. But we don't sometimes realize that we are in debt to God. And the person who has paid our debt of sin is Jesus. He did that on the cross. And we can see in that as we read the scriptures, as we listen to his teaching, as we listen to the teaching of the church, that Jesus paid a debt that we could never pay. He paid the debt of our sin in order that we might go free. Think about that. What an incredible privilege that we have. Our debt of sin, whether it's sinned against other people or sinned against God, whatever it is has been paid. And this isn't in the parable the expected outcome of the king in relation to his servants. Because the king is well within his rights to carry out what he said he was going to do. He's well within his rights, and yet he has mercy. What an incredible thought that the God of all the universe would forgive sin, any sin for the mark. That he would forgive our sin. That he would forgive my sin. That he would forgive your sin. An incredible thing. And how must he have felt? We move from scene one to scene two. The servant and the servant with the witnesses. Verse 28. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. The fellow servant represents the brother or sister in Christ who sins against us, who is in debt to us. However, the scale of the debt is much, much less. In the New Living Translation, it translates it as a, a, a few thousand dollars. Imagine the difference between a debt of millions to a debt of a few thousand. Massive, massive difference. Uh, we need to remember that whatever anybody has done to us and sinned against us is nowhere near how we have sinned against God and what we have done to him. 
the sin that Jesus paid for through his death on the cross, through his suffering. What would you expect the servant should do in this story? He's just been forgiven of everything and he comes across a fellow servant and we ask ourselves, what would you do? What would you do about the person who has sinned against you? You'd expect in the story that the servant would be merciful, that he would be forgiving, they would say, forget about the debt, it's cancelled. I've had the same thing happen to me. I've just had millions cancelled by our master, and he's just forgiven me of all this massive debt. And, and I'm really excited to be able to forgive you, and it's fine, let's forget about it, let's hug. Remember, if you want to hug, go up into that corner, okay? Sorry, I'll be joke for people who were here last week. And this, though, is the second shock in the parable. He takes him by the throat, and he almost takes his life. What a way to act. The way the servant treats his fellow servant, grabbing him, beginning to choke him, and demanding his payback. It's just simply stunning. Shock tactic number two. Imagine how the disciples are hearing this story. And we need to imagine the response of those who were listening to this story when it was first told. How do we feel? How would you feel? What would we think if it was us in that position? What would we do if it was us in that position? Have you ever been in the position where you see an injustice done to somebody else? Sometimes easier when somebody does something to us, right? But when somebody does an injustice to somebody else, sometimes there's just something rises within us that demands justice. And if it's the right circumstances, the adrenaline will start to flow and we find ourselves being able to do extraordinary things to achieve justice. I don't know if you've ever done this. When you see somebody getting beaten up or something like that and you just step into the middle of it, I remember doing this once, two guys fighting and standing in the middle of it. Who am I? Just a wee guy like me. But see when that adrenaline starts to flow and you just kind of like, you turn into the Incredible Hulk. <laughs> you don't look like it, but just something rises within you and you say, we need to have justice here. We need justice. Something needs to be done about this. And it's good if the church begins to rise up and see injustice in our world and do something about it. I think that's one of the things that we're supposed to do. Instead of showing the same grace to his brother, to his fellow servant, he had him thrown into prison. But there were witnesses, the fellow servants, and they went off to see the king about the matter. And I can only begin to imagine their distress that sense of injustice rising within them. We can't stand for this. We need to do something for this, about this. The master needs to know what's happening here. Scene three. The closing scene of the parable. Verse 32. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you. 
In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured. That's the second time I've struggled to say that word. Tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Third shock tactic, the master's reaction to the servant. No grace, no mercy. He's not only thrown into prison, but tortured until he should pay back this massive debt that we've already thought about. How is he ever going to pay that debt back? It's almost as if the master has a greater issue with the injury to the man's fellow servant than to what he was personally owed by the servant. What does this tell us about the incredible compassion of the father God for all of those children who come and ask him for mercy? In the parable, we see that the master gets angry with the servant. And the implication here is that God can get angry with us when we do not forgive our brother or sister from the heart. And we get a glimpse as to how God may react to our unforgiveness of a brother or sister. The church is full of people who are unforgiven. And the church is full of people who have not forgiven others. And the Bible has things to say about that. Mark chapter 11, verse 25, encourages us to deal with these things. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. The disciples come to Jesus and they say, teach us how to pray. And Jesus gives them these instructions very clearly. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, the Master, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on heaven, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and please take away the snow. What does he say? Verse 12, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And Jesus goes on to say off the back of this, in verse 14 of Matthew 6, If you forgive men what they sin, uh, when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not Forgive your sins. This is incredible. We come to Jesus and we say, I recognize that I'm a sinner. I confess my sins. Please come into my heart. Help me not to be that way anymore. I invite you in. I invite the Holy Spirit in. And I want to live for you. And I want to live a new life. And yet we need to learn that we need to put this into practice every single time we don't forgive others, how is God going to forgive us? Jesus answered Peter's question in such a dramatic and shocking way. And Kenneth Bailey says this, the parables of Jesus are a concrete, dramatic form 
of theological language that presses the listener to respond. They reveal the nature of the kingdom of God and or indicate how a child of the kingdom should act. This is how we must act. If you call yourself a Christian, and you've probably heard that in such a negative way, call yourself a Christian. How, do you, how can you say you're a Christian and do such and such? I've had that all my life. Matthew 18:35. as we close out. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. How ought we to live? How did the original listeners respond? Probably Peter was thinking about that situation or that person that he's had to forgive so many times. And realize, actually, I need to do it again and again and again. How do we respond in this situation? Have we forgiven our brother or sister from our heart? And if we grasp anything from this, it must surely be the need for brothers and sisters to live in a state of forgiveness with one another. The reality is that we all make mistakes, okay? If anybody says they've never made a mistake, then they've just made a mistake, okay? We all slip up. The Bible says that all of us have fallen short of God's standard. And we all have an obligation to forgive our brother from the heart because the scale of the thing that you need to forgive is minuscule compared to what had to forgive in order to forgive the sins of every single person who has ever lived, who lives just now, and whoever will live. Jesus paid it all, and we sing that song. I love that hymn that we sing. He paid it all. And I alluded last week to the things that God would need to deal with someday. What will heaven be like? Heaven will be a place where there is no unforgiveness. Heaven will be a place of perfection. Therefore, we must deal with the issue of unforgiveness now. Today, we have an opportunity. We must deal with the issue of unforgiveness now. Search your heart. Invite the Holy Spirit to search your heart. Deal with what you find And if need be, make a list. Work through that list of people or situations that you need to forgive or perhaps be forgiven by because life is too short to hold on to things. And in the Psalms, we read that it's a great place to be where brothers and sisters live together in unity. A picture of harmony, a picture of forgiveness. And this theme is reiterated throughout the New Testament. One last passage that I'll read, and with this I'll finish. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 14 says this, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with what? Compassion, kindness, 
humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. The reality is that each of us falls short. And when somebody comes and says, this is how you've fallen short with me, we need to be able to listen to that. And to say, actually, I never saw it that way. I'm sorry. And then there needs to be forgiveness. This is how Jesus instructed us to live. This is how we ought to live in the church. The church needs to be modeling something which is drastically different from what we see in society today. So my encouragement to us, church, is let's lead the way. Let's lead the way in these things. The Bible says that a wise man overlooks an insult, and if you can do that, fantastic. If you can't, deal with it with the person. If you can't deal with it with the person, bring along somebody else. And if then you're still struggling, then you maybe want to come and speak to the church, but not before. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, your, your, your word really is challenging to us because it cuts into the very core of the issue. And Jesus didn't leave us to think about how we should respond in this parable. Shocking as it was, he actually instructed us that we need to learn to forgive each other from the heart. And Father, I pray that this would be a community where we forgive each other from the heart. Father, where churches forgive each other from the heart, where denominations forgive each other from the heart. But Father, help us to recognize those areas where we've fallen short, not to try and ignore those things or brush over those things, but Father, to confess those things. And Father, as Steve has already mentioned this morning, that when we confess our sin, that you're faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not only do you forgive us, Father, but you make us clean. And so, Father, we pray that your church in this nation would live this message out. Father, we realize that it's one message of many. It's one of many things which Jesus taught the church about how we ought to live as a community, as a family. Father, help us to realize that none of us can live as a Christian on our own. But, Father, that we live in a way that we are accountable to you, but also accountable to one another. Father, you have called us together as church, as a community, as a community of faith. And, Father, we pray that you would help us to uh, foster those bonds of love, those things which join us together. And, Father, we pray that you would come and have your way, take your place in your church. And, Father, we pray that your church would be an example to the world. Father, we pray that you give us wisdom and grace today. Father, for those of us who maybe need to take something even today and apply this, Lord, we pray that you give us the wisdom and the grace to do that. Father, help us not to speak in haste, but to think about what we would say first. Father, help us to love our brother and sister from our hearts. Father, we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.